So I know that many of you thought y'all were coming to hear the second half of Brian's sermon. <laughs> Remember last week he was saying, part two is going to come next week. And uh, afterwards I said, are you still going or, or not? And he said, yeah, I am. I said, well, I didn't know you kind of had me fooled here. Cause he said, well, I'll pick it up two two weeks. You know, like that. And so anyway, um, so y'all stuck with me today. <laughs> But anyway, I just wanted to kind of touch on something that maybe some things that we need to clear up about God and who God is. And so, when you think about your view of God, your view of God is going to determine how you live the rest of your life here on this earth. It's important how you view God. You know, many of us have viewed God in different ways because of what we have been taught by others. But you have to dig or dig into the Word yourself and let Holy Spirit teach you the truth of who God is. You know, it's going to determine how you walk. It's going to determine whether you're going to walk with boldness, confidence, are you going to back up and get in timidity and fear? It's going to determine whether you're going to be frustrated throughout your life with other people, with yourself, with your family, or whether you're going to have joy and peace in your life. Believe it or not, it's all rooted from what you believe about God. It determines not only how, but if you will pray over somebody. It may hold you back from praying over anybody at all. And then, it's going to determine how you're going to pray over them. When you pray, are you going to pray in confidence and boldness? Are you going to pray from a place of fear? Backing up. Because He says to come to His throne with boldness and confidence. Not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done and now you're in Him. And so, we're to look just like Jesus looked while He walked upon this earth. And that comes from Him knowing the truth of who His Father was. He's the only person to ever set foot on this earth that knows the Father in and out. So if we're going to pattern our life by anybody, wouldn't you want to pattern it by that? If He truly knows the Father's heart, then that's the pattern. And so if we're going to get that pattern, we're going to have to truly look at who Jesus is. And we're going to have to let His Spirit that He deposited within us teach us the truth of who Jesus is. And then they will teach us the truth of the Father. Because Jesus said, I and the Father are one. I don't say anything the Father doesn't tell me to say. And I don't do anything the Father doesn't tell me to do. So if we're going to live from that place right there, we have to get a correct view of the Father. Wouldn't you think? Everybody agree with that? 
So look, let's turn to Hebrews. And this is chapter 12. And this is at the very end of chapter 12. And I'm going to read 28 and 29. But the main focus is 29. And I'm in the NIV version today just to make it simple for everybody. It says, Therefore, since we are, not will, but notice the the context of the word, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. That's going to trigger something about what you, who you think God is right there. And I want to get a correct view of this consuming fire of God that He had, that He is. Because many will take that from what they have learned in religion throughout their years of growing up. And they'll, they'll paint a picture of God, a paradigm of God that He's not. And so, when we look at that word consuming, it can have different meanings. It can mean to swallow up. Or it can mean to destroy or annihilate. To completely obliterate. Or it can mean to absorb. And there's probably other meanings that you can use for the word consume. And then when we look at the word fire, how is fire used upon this earth? A lot of different ways that fire is used. Some of y'all use fire this morning or are going to use it as soon as you get home to warm up some food, right? So it can be used for a good purpose. It doesn't have to be used to destroy things, although that is one of the things that fire can do. But what else did it do? Before we had flashlights and lights on in here, we had to use fire for light. We had to use, we used fire for for providing warmth. And then the Bible also talks about one other use of the word fire, and it's to purify. To purify. Malachi talks about that, and he talks about how when gold is put in the fire. The gold is not harmed. But actually, it burns off the impureness of the gold. Called dross. It burns off the dross is what the Word says. That is inside the gold. And it does. It destroys that which makes the gold impure. Anybody had anything impure in their life here? So now we're going to look at a different view of the fire of God. Not to destroy you, but for another purpose. And so when you look at those two things, those statements, let's go into Isaiah right quick. And I'm going to read this from the Passion Translation. Although the NIV kind of comes in that same order, I don't think the Passion Translation is on your out for Isaiah. But I like what it says here. And this is in chapter 33. And I'm going to start in verse 14 through 16. If you want to get in another version, it's going to be pretty close, pretty similar to this. It says, 
And 14, it's a, I'm going to go with B. Start in 14B. Who can dwell with such an all-consuming fire? Who can live in the presence of the never-ending flame? Only those who walk with integrity, speak what is true, who despise even the thought of cheating the poor, and who do not accept a bribe nor plot violence nor contemplate doing evil. They will live safely in the heights and make their safe place the mountain strongholds with bread in steady supply and water assured. So it asks two questions here. The first question is, who can dwell with such an all-consuming fire? And the second was, who can live in the presence of the never-ending flame? So, Isaiah couldn't properly answer this, even though he tried right after. It only is properly answered in the life of Jesus Christ. Because Isaiah knew about God, and he knew some things about God, but he didn't know God completely, right? So when you go into the New Testament, I want to look at these verses, and this is in 1 John. So turn over here. I'm putting these two verses together for a reason. Because John answers the questions that Isaiah asked according to the New Covenant. According to the blood of Jesus Christ. So he asked these questions, and here, John and chapter... 1 John, chapter 1... No, I'm sorry, chapter 4... And we're going to start in verse 16 and go through 18. And it says, And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God. And God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. And then he goes on to say, in this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. You hear that? There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So the answer to Isaiah's questions is found here. Who is God? He's love. So if we're going to become a person who can stand in the flame, stand in the fire of God's love, then we have to look at the person of Jesus and we have to say, that's what I choose. And you have a choice. You have a choice every day. And I'm going to get into those choices. But I had to put these two. They seem to contrast one another at the beginning. Because you think Isaiah's talking about hell. But he's really not talking about a fire that's hell. And if it is a fire that's hell, then it's of God. Because He is the flame to stand in. He's the one we have to stand in that burns off the dross. That burns off 
those things that don't belong, that keep us from being love upon the earth. That's who we're called to be. Everybody wants to know, what's my purpose on this earth? Love. Become love. Become love. Choose love. I preached a message back in the spring when Brian was gone. And I said, choose life. Remember that? It was choose life. Well, guess what life is found in? The same place love is found in. Choose God. Choose His love here. So, when we look at those verses, and then all of a sudden we hear John say something that seems contrasting to what Isaiah was talking about, it's really not. He just answers Isaiah's questions. Because why? He was privy to walk with love. He spent three years walking with the person love, Jesus Christ. And when you look at His whole life in the New Testament, you go and you study who Jesus is. Never did anything but love come out of Him. Even to those who were very unlovable to Him. So much so that on the cross, He's looking at those who just beat Him, pierced Him, put nails in His hands and His feet. And He's looking at them from the cross and He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. And if He said those words and Jesus said, I and the Father are one, who said those words? God said those words. And He didn't say them. He didn't say them to get permission from God to, to release that so God would do that. He wasn't looking for God to do something. He was God on the cross. He and the Father are one. So what was He doing? He was speaking to their ears so that they could hear they were already forgiven. Even though they were gnashing their teeth and they were looking upon Him with pride that they had just crucified this person that they thought was a heretic who was against their religious system, who broke every religious law that they ever thought they had when he all he did was fulfill the law. But see, they done made that law to be something it never was meant to be. It was only to show you that you were broken and you could not stand in your own righteousness. Whose righteousness do we have? The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He was reconciling the world through Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us. He was in Christ Jesus reconciling so that you will become the righteousness of Jesus. His righteousness. His righteousness and God's righteousness are one and the same. So this fire of God is actually meant to produce love in you. It's to burn out everything that is not of love's kind inside you. This fire of God is not to destroy you but to destroy that which is destroying you. You see what I'm saying? It's not to destroy you. We built our identity the wrong way. We built it from the world and the religious system. Think about it. When somebody says, now who are you? What do you usually describe? From a worldly or religious system? I've had people to even ask me, are you a preacher? No, I'm not a preacher. I just love Jesus. 
I just love Jesus. You see, so he this consuming fire that everybody thinks God is against them and His wrath is in it, His wrath is love. The wrath is not against you. The wrath is against what's killing you. You see what I'm saying? Who in this world, if they saw one of these loved ones, your grandkids or your children, would sit idly by if they saw themselves and they looked in the mirror and they saw and they thought, I'm never going to be good enough. I'm worthless. Who in this room would go if they could get into that lie and furiously burn it out of them? There ain't a person in this room that wouldn't do that. You think you've got a better love than God does? That, was a, that fiery love that you have for that child was originated in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You couldn't have that fiery love if it wasn't for them. You were created out of that fiery love. And we think that we can, we can, if we can do it, God would, and He can, and He will, and He does. And sometimes it feels like hell. It feels like you're going through hell when He's burning out those things that don't need to be in you. Those thoughts that don't need to be in you. That's what God's fire, consuming fire looks like to us. And it just hurts sometimes. The Old Testament, or oh, let's think about this. The early church had this view of God as a judge. We have this view that has been passed down that we inherited of God being a judge. But the, the God that you and I inherited that looks like a judge, it looks like what we got handed down. Do you know who passed a lot of these things down? Calvin. And Luther. And Augusta. You know what their jobs were? Lawyers. So you got handed a legal God. You feel like you're in a courtroom most of the time. Who wants to stand in front of that child? Not that judge. Not me. I don't ever want to stand in front of that type of judge. Because what's coming? Punishment. <laughs> Punishment is coming. Sentencing. That's what's coming from that kind of judge. And so... The early church had a different view. Their view of God as a judge was a physician. So what does a physician do? When you go to him, you're sick. You got problems. You're broken. And you come to that judge. That's the kind of judge you want to stand before not that legal judge that you've been passed down. Who wasn't passed down that legal judge in here? It's, it's a big difference with what the church, early church believed and what you and I have got passed down and we inherited. And the only way we're going to get back to the true judge that is an all-consuming fire that we know to be good 
is to get out of that legalistic view of who God is. See, nobody wants to stand in front of that judge. But the judge that is going to fix your problems, and it's going to hurt. What does a doctor don't usually do? Emily can tell you she's a surgeon nurse. They're going to cut you off. They're going to punish your body. But they're going to get out what's killing you. They're going to remove what is killing you. Or He's going to prescribe something to attack what is killing your body, your physical body. Now, when we have that view of God, it changes things, don't it? We know that when we stand before that view of God, that paradigm of who God is, that He's there to make us well. He's there to get out everything that is killing us. He wants to remove it completely and say, I want you, Brent, to be loved. Alex and I, if you don't mind, we, me and him were talking yesterday. We were just kind of walking through the woods. We don't get to do that too often. He's busy with his kids and all. And everybody's got their lives busy. And we, we went yesterday kind of walking through the woods and having a conversation. And Alex said, Daddy, I don't understand. I stay so frustrated at, at, these, at the religious people. And I said, uh, he said, I just don't know what to do about that. You know, I, don't, I, I just can't get past that. I said, well, you have to do. I said, Bill talked about this about three weeks ago. And I said, what are you talking about? When he said, you have to get above the circumstances. That place is the place of love. We are taught to judge everything that we look at in that legal setting. Right? I mean, that's kind of how we do. We, we judge who's right, who's wrong. There's a lot of times I ruin some relationships because I thought I had to prove myself to be right when I would have just chose love. If I could just choose, go back to that situation and chose love, I would have burned out our, our disagreement. Right. <laughs> it would have burned it out of me. Because love will cover a multitude of sin, it says. That's the Scripture says that. Love covers a multitude of sin. So even though somebody's in sin, it's not your job to go judge them. It's your job to love them. And even if that's the Pharisee in our today, you have to love them. And I, I was telling him, I said, now, how do you do that? How do you do this? Because we're taught to be a judgmental society. You think about it. We're judging here in the next week. Who we want to put on the, on the ballots, you know, in the elections. I'm not saying don't vote according to your heart and don't look at the stuff. But what I am telling you is this. It's better to love and burn it out of them with love than it is to try to prove yourself right. When we look back at Jesus and His life here upon this earth, when we look back at it and truly analyze it, even the religious leader He did not judge. They come to judge Him and He showed them the error of their judgment. He loved them. 
to the point that he's on the cross slaving. The very ones who are trying to kill him. You think about, and we talked about this lately, Bill and Tracy and myself, we talk about this sometimes on, on Friday mornings. We meet together. And you think about that woman, and my mind kind of goes crazy with that woman, that they drag in front of Jesus. And they're dragging her up in front of Him and saying, she deserves to be stoned to death because she's sleeping around. She's committed adultery. But Jesus, instead of going and judging the woman, He just turns and He looks and He said, okay, tell you what, I'm fixing a noodle in this ground right quick. And He just starts drawing in that ground. And He says, He who has no sin cast the first stone. And so, I told Bill the other day, I said, my mind works crazy. This is how I pictured it. I said, they didn't really know who Jesus was yet. They had an idea, but they really didn't know He knew their thoughts. But there's one person who's in this whole circle who's listening, who knows the truth of who they are. It's that woman. I can imagine that they're all done found out they all sleeping with the same woman. And they got together and realized after they're doing their bragging, and they're going to drag her up in front of Jesus. And Jesus knows that her ears are listening as well, and she knows everything they've done. They're not convinced that Jesus knows everything they've done, but they know she knows. And that's when he says, He who has no sin cast the first stone. Now, that ain't what the Bible says. That's just how my mind works sometimes. And so. All it says was that each one of them dropped their stone and they walked off. You know why? Because he they're not the judge. He's the judge. You know how I know that? Turn with me to this verse right here. John 5 22. The book of John. Um, the Gospel of John. 22. John 5, 22. And this is what it says. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to whom? The Son. So who's the judge? Not them. He's trying to show them you're not to judge. We don't. We go out our day most of the time. We judge people for how wealthy or how poor they are, or how clean or, or how dirty they are, or their past, or what we think we know about them, or their religion, or their skin color, or their nationality, or their sex. And we, we spend a lot of our day judging when we should be loving. Because it says in John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
17 says this, For He did not come to the world to condemn the world. What did He say? His judgment is not a condemnation. But that the world through Him might be saved. And verse 18 says this. It's John 3, 16, 17. And I just said those and I wanted to read 18. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So who, who can condemn themselves? Their own unbelief. You can condemn yourself by not believing everything that Jesus is and everything that Jesus has provided. So the only one that you are qualified to condemn is yourself. And every time you judge your fellow man, you're condemning yourself. Every time you appoint yourself as the courtroom judge, you're bringing judgment on yourself. Why he says, do not judge. And that's a hard thing to do. It's easier for I'm preaching this message to me because I like to I like to have my opinion. And this makes my opinion have to be null and void. All that matters is love. That's it. The answers to all of life's solutions out here would be gone if everybody loved one another. Did you know that? Because you, that's why he tells you to pray for your enemy. Because praying for your enemy will change your heart, and they won't be your enemy. You see, you see where I'm coming from in this. So, what I want is that kind of judgment that is a physician, because I want him to remove every secret, every controlling aspect. I love to be in control. Every judgment. Everything. We only want to look at the sin. Sin. Like, kill, steal, destroy, adultery, theft, all that. But but sin is originated in one thing. Sin is not. Those are the effects of sin. The sin is unbelief. And if you truly believe that Christ is in you and you are in Christ and that your life is His and His life is yours, then you must, you must do what He did. You must not stand in judgment and you must love. Your judgment has to be love. And so I wanted to share that with everybody this morning because I think sometimes our paradigm of who God is and His consuming fire, it's not the right paradigm. It come from what we inherited. It didn't come from the truth. Because Jesus, He comes and He's perfect theology of the desires of the Father. Because Jesus, God, and Holy Spirit are one. And when you put yourself when you believe upon Jesus, you're in the midst of that. You're, you're as close face to face with Jesus, with Holy Spirit, 
and with the Father God. And their desire is all for love. For you to love, to become love, and to love others. So it's a choice that you have to make. And if you'll change your view, you'll, you'll get off the judgment seat. You'll get off of that judgment seat that we kind of put ourselves and justified ourselves to get there. We justified ourselves to be there. I had somebody last night, Aaron and I went and ate, and I hadn't seen him in a long time. And his comment was, he, th- he thinks I still go to Megan Baptist Church where I ain't been since about 2012 or 11. And he said, tell Brother Rick to keep praying for me. And I was like, I just didn't even tell him. I was just like, okay. <laughs> and I'm like, what is he talking about? And then he goes on to explain when he coached with Brother Rick at one time. that he, he, They went to somewhere to eat afterwards. It was like an all-star game. And he just let it rip. He said, I said every ugly word I could say in front of that man. <laughs> and he said, Brother Rick, I'm sorry, but you probably need to pray for me. He said, I already am. <laughs> That's what he told him. But here's the thing. I don't judge him. I don't judge him. He just doesn't know true love. He's been judged all his life. Why does he need another one? When Jesus said, I didn't judge. I didn't come to judge the world. I didn't come to condemn the world. And I just laughed with him. I said, if I see him, I'll tell him. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's it. And, and it, it's, it's funny because Aaron, and I, that's the first time Aaron had met him. He's a character. And, uh, you know, Aaron's just sitting there and he's in the same thing I'm in. Because we're out of that place. We're further out of it than what we were. Many years ago, I would have judged him. And I would have said, you need to come go to church with me. God will clean up that five mile for you. You see what I'm saying? And you just love them who they are. You make sure that when they walk away from you, they've walked away from the Savior of the world. They've walked away from the person of love. That's who we are all to be. When people walk away from us, I don't care if they're the religious leader, I don't care if they're the vilest spoken person that you've ever been around. Love them. That's what, that's what we're healed in. That's what the physician wants us to pass along. The great physician judge. Not the great courtroom judge. You understand? So, I just wanted to just kind of go through that. So that we can get a better view. And that gives us a better view of our neighbor now. And that's what Jesus said. He summed up the commandments in two commandments. Love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And then he goes on, and Paul writes this letter in chapter 13. Of 1 Corinthians, and he says, and we call it the love chapter. He says, if I do all of these things, if I do all these, I, I present all these gifts, I speak in tongues, I have the gift of healing, I have the gift of miracles, and I have all these things, and I've done all these things. And he says, but if you didn't do it with love, 
it's like a clanging gong. It, it's meaningless. If you did it for personal gain for yourself, then you may as well not done it. Because you didn't show the true love of the Father. And you did So love. Choose love every day. You know, and I, I couldn't say it any better than just as Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. So, all right. I'm done. <laughs> and so I appreciate you guys. And uh, if there's someone who needs prayer or anything, please come forward. I'd love to pray with you.